This is Connected to Chicago, a look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Now, Connected to Chicago. And welcome to Connected to Chicago. In the news this week, the back and forth between Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot and Cook County State's Attorney Kim Fox over Fox's office not filing charges in a shooting that resulted in a death in the Austin neighborhood, even though this whole thing was caught on camera and seen by police there at the scene. My guest today is Pat Brady. You know him as the former head of the GOP here in Illinois, but also a former state and federal prosecutor. And Pat, that's the hat I want you to wear today. So welcome to the program. I got it on, buddy. All good. How you been? Pretty good. Pretty good. So let's start with this. You've seen the tape. Do you agree with the mayor that charges were warranted or are warranted in this case. You know, I, I have seen the tape like everybody else, but I don't know all the facts. I haven't talked to the officers, interviewed the witness, and things you'd normally do in making a decision on whether or not to charge. But I will say this. E- even if the, the tape is grainy and you can't figure out because of this quote-unquote mutual combat theory that Kim Fox has put been, and her people have been putting out there, put out there, why wasn't somebody charged with a gun offense? This whole melee, this whole shooting, which was horrible, and someone's dead, and nobody's charged. Nobody's charged with a gun offense. Yeah. Nobody's charged. What I understand from some of the media accounts, one of the cars involved might have been a stolen car. The, the point is, and, I, and this is where I really side with the mayor on this, we have a prosecutor in Cook County, Kim Fox, who consistently, this is not an isolated incident with her, consistently doesn't charge cases or undercharges cases that should obviously be charged. There's always a tension with the police and the prosecutor on what should be charged. But she has gone overboard, and I'm not sure if it's because she's just incompetent or this is her political philosophy that, you know, we need to empty the jails to solve the crime problem in this city. And I think that's where the mayor kind of reached her tipping point when you have something on tape that everybody can see and nobody's charged with anything. Yeah, well, I mean, I I think that you can look at her ideology, and it is kind of this, and folks will say it, the revolving door with her office, and a lot of folks, you know, get picked up on maybe a gun charge on a Thursday night, and they're back out on the streets Friday morning. Is that a wrong way, a wrong approach to to the way they need to handle, especially with with the, the crime on the rise, the violence on the rise in the city of Chicago specifically? Yeah, a couple of things. Like you just mentioned there, we're on pace, I think, to have close to 4,500 shootings. 4,500 people are going to get shot in Chicago in one calendar year and on pace to have over, over 800 murders. Crime is out of control in the city. And just from a historical context, looking at other cities in the past, even Chicago in the late 80s, where the crime was bad or New York or wherever, the approach that Kim Fox takes to answer your question of the revolving door not prosecuting, not wanting to get people off the street, not wanting to get the guns off the street, to adhere to this far-left philosophy that we just need to empty the jails and everything's going to be fine. It just doesn't work. It's not my opinion. It's just fact. When you look at the crime statistics since in the last couple of years since she's been state's attorney, and, and if it, this were just an isolated incident, I call you know bad call, maybe by felony review, that's to determine who charges in the state's attorney's office or by her. I'd say, okay, but this is just a, a repeated circumstance, which to me is just her philosophy. And if you've ever watched her speak in front of legal groups, she she believes this. And she will say that this is a social service office, at which I don't share that opinion. That's the prosecutor's office. You're to dispense justice. And the people that are forgotten here are the people in the Austin neighborhood, the victims of these crimes, the people that live in these neighborhoods. And Kim Fox is not helping them at all. 
Well, Kim Fox yesterday came out and said the mayor's doing the victims a disservice by essentially trying the case in the press instead of, you know, in a courtroom. Um, do you think the mayor was wrong in discussing the case? Or, I mean, is she just as um, surprised that, that, you know, as everybody else, that there really were no charges uh, that came out of this? I don't think so, given, again, I don't know everything, all the facts in this case, but I've seen the, the tape and I've seen Kim Fox operate the last two or three years. And I, I think the mayor's just expressing a frustration that a lot of us have. I, I'm in the city, right in the heart of all this, and the city just doesn't feel safe anymore. And, and, and a big part of that lack of feeling of safety is we have a prosecutor that doesn't think we need to get guns and bad guys off the streets. And I think the mayor is, is just frustrated, as are a lot of us. Now, do, I don't think it does anybody any good to have this fight in public between the prosecutor and the mayor and the police. But the reality is she expressed, in my opinion, what a lot of people feel is what's going on in that state's attorney's office. Could this be just a case of, you know, the detectives maybe need some more time? I I seem to get the sense yesterday when Fox was speaking that uh, perhaps there will be charges down the road. Uh, I mean, I would expect possibly that could be the case. Hopefully, but these guys are in the wind right now. <laughs> they're they're yeah. not in jail. They're not in custody. They could have. And in my point that I made before, why wasn't somebody arrested on a gun charge? This is how you work these cases. You arrest them on charges, not don't make up charges, legitimate charges, which are serious felonies. Get them in there and see if they cooperate and figure out who actually did the shooting. But to not arrest anybody or charge anybody to me is prosecutorial malpractice. And again, it's just consistent with her theory that we need to empty the jails to solve this problem. It's, just, it's a head scratcher for a lot of us that have worked for years in law enforcement, don't get where she's going with it. I don't, I don't know if she doesn't want the job or, or she's not confident, but whatever she's doing, if you look at the crime stats, it's just not working. And we're talking with Pat Brady, and I want to make clear to our audience, we're recording this uh, on a Wednesday for air this weekend. So, of course, Somebody could be taken into custody by the time this airs, but as of this taping, uh, that's the current situation that nobody's been arrested in this case. Uh, Pat, Kim Fox is an elected official, right? Uh, runs her own office. Who does she answer to other than the voters? Can pressure from the mayor or from somebody else actually sway her one way or another when it comes to uh, things like uh, prosecuting certain crimes or stepping it up? But... <laughs> The, the role and the function of the prosecutor is to administer justice. So hopefully they are not answering to pressure. They're doing the right thing. They are evaluating the case, each case on its merits, applying the law and appropriately ch charging the case. But to answer your question, I would think that, that the county board chairman, Tony Preckwinkle, might have some influence on her. The mayor, uh, certainly the voters, her, her poll numbers are horrible right now. Uh, she's in the high 30s in so far as approval. So maybe those are the people that have the influence, but this is not a new discussion. And it appears that she's not really changing course on what, how she wants to run that office. And that's fine. She got elected, but the rest of the city and the victims are suffering from it. Yeah. And I guess that leads us into what is the political fallout uh, here with, at least maybe with Kim Fox, this particular case or, you know, like we've talked about the the revolving door of her office and the way that she uh, prosecutes cases or chooses not to bring uh, uh, charges against some folks. I, I, I imagine that she's going to have a tough race for reelection. 
yeah, I would imagine there there would be a challenger. Now, there is a certain segment of the far left part of the Democratic Party that believes that this is the proper approach. So she still is going to have her support there. But I do believe members of every community in this county, in this city, probably would be open to something new, a different approach, because, again, what she's doing is not working. Now, who who might that be? I don't know. I mean, Kim Fox had a challenger last time, a very impressive candidate who she beat handily. And then she obviously easily won the general election against a, a good, very confident prosecutor and Pat O'Brien, former prosecutor and former mm-hmm. judge in Pat O'Brien. But the reality is, once you're in that spot as a Democrat, as long as you keep your base of support within the Democratic Party, it's virtually impossible for a Republican or even independent to win it just by the virtue of the, the numbers, the how the Democrats and Republicans break out and, and cook kind of. Yeah, I imagine she would have a challenger, but she either way is, is going to be uh, difficult to, to, to beat. But I'm just hoping that she recognizes what she's doing is not working in Cook County. Yeah. And this is all kind of part of the bigger issue of overall crime. As you said, we're on, on track to hitting, you know, 4,500 shootings uh, in the city this year. Um, what what should politicians be doing? What should Mayor Lori Lightfoot be doing? Or what should she be telling uh, David Brown, the, the police superintendent? Um, what can they do? I mean, geez, it's it's just, it seems like... They keep trying different uh, strategies, and they're not working. You know, I can speak mainly to having my experience being as a prosecutor and the things we just talked about. I can talk about that. But I do agree that there there needs to be a, a more holistic solution to all this. Crime's not just not necessarily 100% just locking everybody up. There are socioeconomic problems in these areas that need to be addressed. There are police reform issues that need to be addressed. There are a lot of components to this that need to be addressed, both by the mayor and the superintendent. I think they both recognize that to to turn this around. But again, back to the bigger point, I've never seen a city turn it around by getting easier light on criminals. That's the major component of it. When people break the law, they need to go to jail and get them off the streets to protect everybody else. But it's a very detailed, complex issue that I think we have people that are bright uh, in the mayor and and the police superintendent that could uh, figure it out, but you can't. It's tough to figure it out when the the third leg to that stool is not doing her job. Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes I think, you know, a good example of of somebody who has kind of turned things around, at least within their own department and handling things, is is Tom Dart, uh, the Cook County Sheriff. He has all these different programs that he's running in the jails um and maybe they should take a page out of his playbook listen in interest of full disclosure tom's a, a very close friend of mine but i completely agree with you nick tom has been on the cutting edge of what he does in that jail primarily in dealing with the mental health component of our crime problem that jail he has that jail is the largest mental health institution in the country, I believe. But he's, he's thought out of the box, and I hate that term, but he has uh, on ways that maybe there are different ways we can address incarceration and rehabilitation and getting people back on the streets and being productive citizens. Uh, I know that, again, along with that mental health component, one of the things I just read about he, he does, uh, at one point they were advocating that a mental health 
person go on each police call, right? Which is not practical. Mm -hmm. He came up with a solution. Now in these cases, there's a mental health consultant on call. They have an iPad. If it's a mental health call, which you can never tell from the phone call, right? You get a phone call, you don't really know what it is. And they get that person to a mental health uh, professional on an iPad. And it, 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 de-escalates any situation. It's been super successful, but I agree completely that Tom has been a great example of a true public servant who wants to get things done the right way and things that are effective and actually work. And I I think he's been the one bright spot in law enforcement in Cook County in the last 15 years. We're going to kind of switch gears just a bit, but we're in the same wheelhouse here. Uh, Businesses and how violence in the city um, is really kind of uh, weighing on their last nerves. Business owners, uh, we saw the hedge fund, hedge, hedge fund manager, Ken Griffin, uh, this week, basically saying he's ready to take his company, Citadel, out of Chicago. Uh, bye-bye. Uh, and he says, you know, it's really uh, the way that the city is being run. Specifically, he talked about violence. Do you see that as as a legit issue for for folks like like Ken or other business owners? Oh, absolutely! It, it you know the feel downtown. I'm walking down Michigan Avenue at nine thirty at night, and the these former businesses are boarded up. Their police mm-hmm. cruisers going up. That this is on Michigan Avenue. This isn't Austin or yeah. Englewood. I mean, the, so there is. If you can't feel safe, like Ken Griffin stated within the city you 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 can't attract talent and you you need talent to to grow a business so i I definitely think it's a legitimate concern but probably broader or more equally important down the road this is going to be i believe the number one campaign issue in this upcoming governor's race uh what are we going to do about crime in the northeastern part of the state it's out of control and how is the governor whatever candidate the current governor governor pritzker or whatever whomever the Republicans put up, what are we going to do about crime? I I do believe that's going to be the top issue. And any polls I've seen indicate that's going to be the case. So I think we're going to hear a lot of good, hopefully good discussion about it. And a guy like Ken Griffin, who's been in the city a long time, given a billion dollars to philanthropic projects, been involved in the city for a long, long time. If he's talking about pulling the pen, that's really bad news for the city. And we should take that seriously. Well, and so Governor Pritzker uh, also kind of, responded to, to Ken's remarks because Ken called the governor out specifically saying that, you know, he really wasn't doing much to help quell the violence. And the governor says, well, look, I called up the National Guard uh, when there was unrest last summer. That's proof that I'm committed. Uh, I I don't know my opinion. I don't think just bringing in the National Guard is, is going to solve all the problems overnight. Um, so I, I, I guess, yeah, is it going to be a, a tough political fight for Pritzker? You know, again, this all comes down to money, too. You need a billion dollars to beat a billionaire, and I don't, I don't see a lot of Republicans lining up, you know, with suitcases of cash. No, and that's a that's a good point, and that that's I watched all of that conversation that Ken Griffin had at the Economic Club this week, mm-hmm. uh, and and if you if you listen to it was an hour over an hour long, and you if you listen to what he said, each of the issues, including crime. It was pretty tough to disagree with them that, hey, we have too much crime. We have too much corruption. We're overtaxed. We have a failing education system. We're in trouble financially. All the issues he talked about, it was really not a partisan discussion. It was just a discussion discussion or policy discussion. It was pretty hard to disagree with what he was saying. And and the point being, 
I completely agree. It's going to be difficult to beat Governor Pritzker. He does have the resources, and it's a blue state. But these issues that Ken Griffin was talking about, those are the issues that need to be addressed for the state to move forward successfully. And I, I think if you listen to it, it's pretty hard to disagree with what he was saying. So that's going to present a challenge to Governor Pritzker beyond, you know, beyond the advantage he has with the, the millions he can spend. You don't see a primary challenger, perhaps, do you? A serious one? No, no. I, I think the governor is, is pretty popular within the, his, his Democratic base. I think where it might get trickier for him on the crime issue anyway is Democrats historically have not been great on law and order. Uh, going back to Michael Dukakis and in the, the late 80s when uh, George H.W. Bush beat him on, the, you know, on, 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 on that particular issue, one of the big issues. Mm-hmm. Back in the day, so Democrats don't do well, I think, generally with particular suburban voters on law and order. And even beyond the city on that issue, when the governor responded to what Ken Griffin had said, the with the votes these elections are, are won or lost are in the suburbs, that kind of the area that blankets around the city. And if, if the governor doesn't do well in the suburbs as well as he did last time, you know, this will be a lot closer race than it was last time. Yeah, we know over the years a lot of the what was red-collar counties are pretty much purple or blue at this point. I think McHenry's one of the last uh, majority Republican uh, counties left. Um, in hey, the last that, couple that minutes... Said, that, that's completely true. I'm sorry, completely true. But the one issue that, that red and blue can kind of unite around is public safety. Everybody wants their homes and their families and their kids to be safe. And whether you're a Democrat or Republican, that's always going to be... And public safety is a big issue right now. Uh, just a couple of minutes left, and I was going to ask you, so then at the end of the day, let's wrap this up uh, going back to Kim Fox. Um, it just maybe could have been handled a little better on on her department's part, would you say, or a faster follow-up as far as maybe checking for um, gun residue, making some arrests, that kind of thing? I think it's broader than that. This is just another example, in my opinion, of how she's run this office. This would not be as big an issue to me or other people had we not seen so much of this from her in the five years she's been in office. She just does not have, in my opinion, the desire or political philosophy to get these folks off the street. She thinks emptying the jails is the way to do it. I've heard her say publicly, I, I watched her speak five years ago or four years ago, I'm like, wow, she sounds more like the public defender than the prosecutor. And there, you're, you're there to administer justice, but you're also there to protect the victims. And she's just ignored that. It's all one-sided. So, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a police officer. I'm not going to criticize any police work. I don't know what's been done. But her overall philosophy, I think, has been very damaging to Cook County and the city of Chicago. My thanks to you, Pat, for joining us this week. Thanks so much for being on the program. Anytime, Nick. Take care, buddy. And up next, we have our reporter roundtable. You're listening to Connected to Chicago on WLS. This is Connected to Chicago. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. And welcome to the reporter roundtable of the program. We welcome in Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune and Greg Hines of Crane Chicago Business. Gentlemen, thanks for joining me. I think we're going to start right off the top with the Lightfoot and Fox back and forth. Uh, an Austin shooting captured on video. Some of it was, at least. There were some cops at the scene. No charges filed. And, boy, they've been going back and forth. Ray, what do you think? What's uh, I mean, the, certainly the optics here, uh, kind of shocking. 
Yes, yes. Um, the mayor would like to have instant uh, arrests, apparently. Um, and uh, she has been calling for action. And, you know, there's like 70 bullet casings uh, out on the ground in that whole crime scene. And she was uh, uh, critical of how um, things are going down here in the, in the uh, whole um, crime side and crime arrests and uh, prosecution area here. And um, she uh, took it to uh, Kim Fox and Kim Fox, the state's attorney, fired back uh, and met with her. And it's still becoming a real uh, Donnybrook between these two. And uh, even though they've met, uh, there's clearly still bad blood. Greg, what about this campaign literature that uh, Lightfoot kind of quickly came out with uh, after, uh, you know, all of this kind of came out in the press? Well, that was kind of stupid, and it, uh, frankly, and it uh, evoked a quick, uh, quick shot across her bow from from Fox. You know, the truth of the matter is that is that this contretemps is uh, shows both of these uh, both of these leaders at, at their worst. Um, uh, the mayor keeps coming across as she's the mayor; she's in charge. The buck stops on the fifth floor, uh, and the city's crime rate especially the violent crime rate, uh, has continued to go up. And it seems like she's always making an excuse. Oh, it's COVID. Uh, oh, it's not up as much as it appears. Oh, it's, it's, it's the judge's fault. It's the state's attorney's fault. Um, it, that gets a little thin after a while. Uh, uh, you know, if she's in charge, and she is, people expect her to get it done. Uh, and this just kind of showed her seeming to point a finger at Fox. Fox, in turn, although she's the prosecutor, uh, she sometimes cr- comes across as, as if she really wants to be the public defender. Uh, she's she's right at her core in saying that uh, that uh, there's problems in the criminal justice system, that uh, that people don't want to cooperate with police because they think the police are an occupying army rather than rather than help. She's right that uh, that uh, if you don't have a case, you can't make it. But it is a little bit of a head scratcher, even though there clearly was a lot of confusion out at the, out the scene here that you can literally have a car pull out in front of a house in a residential neighborhood, a bunch of people get out and fire all kinds of guns and weapons, terrorize the neighborhood, get in, get back in the car and leave away, and nobody can be prosecuted for anything by the state's attorney. Uh, you know, even even improperly shooting a gun. Um, uh, I mean, trust, trespassing, jaywalking. I mean, get them on something. But, you know, it's it, that, like I said, that tends to show to show Fox at her worst because there's an increasing perception here, uh, uh, not only among law-abiding people that the system, that the justice system isn't working, but I fear among among the, the criminals out there that, hey, we can go out and act with impunity. Nobody's going to catch us, and if they do, they're not going to do anything to us. That's a problem. Well, it also kind of ties in, too, with uh, President uh, Tony Preckwinkle of the county board, uh, her um, patrolman who, who uh, guards her place actually had to fire his weapon the, the other day too, which um, the president then said, well, that shows us how close uh, this type of crime is here. And so we've got all these signals here that crime is still raging in Chicago and no clear solution that's that's been outlined and no clear path to cleaning it up overall. 
Yeah, I think the solu- you're right about that, Ray. Uh, I think the solution is you have to have both a carrot and a stick, like anything else. But people get uh, motivated by incentives; they get motivated by, by, by penalties. But it's becoming political fodder. Uh, one of the other things that happened this week is that uh, Illinois Senate Republicans rolled out a really tough uh, "curl your toes" anti-crime package uh, that calls for all the stuff we used to have and uh, that was pretty much disposed of: mandatory minimums, uh, long jail sentences. We don't care. If if you're, if you're 75 years old, you're going to stay. You're going to stay in the pokey because because uh, it makes us feel good. Um, uh, bringing back uh, 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 cash bond and locking people up that don't have cash bond. Um, uh, that's not the solution. But at the same time. I'm not sure that the progressives who've had some success lately in, in the last few years in the wake of George Floyd and the Quan McDonald and getting things like the police consent decree, uh, I'm not sure the position is, is impregnable either. Uh, and one of the remarkable things is Preckwick was in before our editorial this board this week, and we got to talking about the number of, of people who, in, in lieu of cash bond now, are released on electronic monitors. And practical argued, hey, you shouldn't lock up uh, uh, essentially in a debtor's prison uh, somebody who's in there for a, for a minor offense and keep them there for two years and ruin their lives uh, while they wait a trial. She's right about that. But if you go and talk to Tom Dart, he'll give you the list of how many people have been released on electronic monitoring. It's hundreds of people who are accused of using a gun in the middle of, a, of a, committing a felony, hundreds of felons who aren't supposed to have guns, 100 people accused of murder. Uh, have been, have been, are not being held in jail. They haven't posted a penny of bail. They were let out on electronic monitors. And if you believe Chicago police, some of those people show up just doing the same thing again because they're convinced, you know, they got out, so why not? And we want to welcome in real quick Heather Sharon from WTTW in Chicago tonight. She's jumping in here. Hi, Heather. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. This is the big issue of the week, isn't it? It is. What are your thoughts on the back and forth between Lightfoot and uh, Kim Fox? Well, I, I, you know, I think it's gotten a little bit lost in sort of the political back and forth and the fact that um, this all played out while uh, Superintendent David Brown was sitting in front of the Chicago City Council defending his proposed 2022 budget of $1.9 billion with Chief of Detectives Brendan Dinahan right next to him saying we agreed with Kim Fox that there weren't enough there wasn't enough evidence to charge anybody in this specific case. And then we had the mayor respond directly to Detective Dinahan saying, um, you know, I wonder if that would have been his conclusion if this had happened in Mount Greenwood or Beverly or anywhere on the north side, which are, of course, areas of the city that are primarily wealthy and primarily white. Now, I asked the mayor's office if she was implying that the chief of the Chicago detectives was somehow engaging in racially disparate policing in Chicago. I, I never got a response back on that. But I, I think that shows that this 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 back and forth is, is complicated in a lot of areas. And I don't know that we have any evidence to suggest that that it's Kim Fox's office that is the bottleneck here. Uh, not when you've got the chief of detective telling a room full of older people that he agreed that they didn't know who possessed the guns. They don't know who fired the shots and they certainly don't know enough to charge anybody with with murder which is quite, quite an end to just what's really been just a fraught week in Chicago politics and Chicago violence. 
you can't. One of the things that strikes me about this is you just can't instantly arrest people or instantly charge them unless you've got the evidence to go on. And it just kind of violates a, a variety of, of uh, basics here when when you're expecting. Sure, we all expect quick response. We all expect the police to do uh, great things quickly. But um, when you can't get it done, it's not like she had been waiting for three or four months for charges. It had only been a few days. And thus, um, it is not beyond the realm of believability that they don't have the actual proof or evidence collected yet to to uh, pull it all together. This is a big gunfight out there, and so they have a lot of leads to chase. You're right, that, Ray, that you can't just bust people to bust people, but at the same time, uh, uh, the, the fact that an incident like this could occur uh, with this many people shot uh, in the middle of the day in a residential neighborhood and absolutely nobody get, get arrested a week, 10 days, whatever it's been uh, afterwards, uh, is just terribly destructive of, of the city's culture and reputation and our sense of the, that we can live here safely. Yeah, it's mind-boggling that you can't get it done that quickly. But if you don't have it, you don't have it, too. It's kind of like writing a story. You either got it or you don't. And, you know, I guess Governor Pritzker's kind of been drug into this as well. Ken Griffin telling the Economic Club of Chicago that, you know, the governor's been absent here in, in the fight against crime in, in Chicago and Cook County, threatening to take Citadel outside. And we know Ken's a big uh, Republican uh, uh, donor. Uh, does Is this a play here? Is he making a play by calling the governor out? Uh, Greg, what do you think? Uh, yes and no. Uh, yeah, there's, 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 there's bad, we talked about bad blood between the mayor and the, and the uh, state attorney. There's clearly bad blood between Mr. Griffin and Mr. Pritzker. Mr. Griffin pretty much paid for the campaign that beat Mr. Pritzker's, uh, um, uh, tax increase, uh, the, uh, the fair tax. Um, uh, he and Republicans are clearly looking for a way back in the game, uh, in Illinois, where everything in Springfield is now is run by, is run by Democrats. But at the same time, Mr. Griffin is not wrong when he says that crime now has reached such a level in this town that it's really beginning to affect our economy and our sense of confidence and our ability to live here. Um, he threatened to move his uh, his his, uh, his company headquarters, uh, Citadel, big hedge trading fund, somewhere else. Uh, I think that's probably phony not because it won't happen, but if it happens, it won't happen because of crime. It'll happen because of business reasons. New York arguably is a better place to run a hedge fund than Chicago. Uh, but uh, uh, so it's it's this very classic Chicago mix of personal interests and political interests all walled up together. Yes, no. Ray and Heather, I'd like to hear from you on this too. What do you guys uh, What do you guys think is in the works here? Go ahead, Heather. Oh, I was just going to say that um, I found it interesting uh, politically that Ken Griffin made a point of trying to distance himself from former President Donald Trump, saying that the Republican Party needed to move on and sort of chart a post-Trump direction, while almost in the same breath referring to Chicago's crime as as worse or um, as bad as Afghanistan, and that the Chicago, that Chicago is, is literally a war zone. Now, none of that is accurate, but it is almost word for word from what we heard from Donald Trump during the 2016 presidential election. And I think it really illuminates the 
potential political problem for whoever he backs in the uh, 2022 gubernatorial election. Everybody's waiting to see which of the Republican candidates Ken Griffin is going to back with all of his billions. But I think that he's going to find, as many Republicans are finding, that it is very difficult to echo the former president in one breath and then decry the former president in the next for inciting an insurrection and trying to overturn the results of the 2020 election. I don't know how he uh, walks that tightrope, and I don't know that it is possible. Heather, let me and let me add one other note to what you said. I do think there. I do think Griffin is accurate when he talks about how bad crime is. To this extent, one of the one of the characteristics of this crime wave, as opposed to previous crime waves, is it's not, it's not, it's not strictly limited to the you know the traditional poor uh, uh, neighborhoods, black and brown neighborhoods on the on the, on the south and west side. It's gotten up in the in the money neighborhoods on the north and northwest sides, uh, and and we people on the north side are finding learn what, what life is like in the rest of the city, and people are not happy about it. And when the vehicle has been pun intended, is, is, is carjacking, uh, where there's been some terribly uh, uh, aggressive and nasty incidents in all kinds of uh, all kinds of areas that just are not, not used to crime uh, like that. And people are really upset. And how and if that's the that's the political anger and angst out there that Republicans are trying to seize on, uh, whether they're successful, whether they're able to do it or not, uh, I don't know. But if if the, if if people are this upset in a year, some very interesting things could happen in the November 22 election. Well, I, let me pick up on that because it, I believe that Griffin was had his sights uh, set on 2022 also because it just is a continuation of his feud with Pritzker. And he made no bones about it that he's, he's aiming at Pritzker here. And uh, as Greg pointed out earlier, uh, Griffin was the main guy who funded the effort to kill uh, Pritzker's uh, proposal to have a graduated income tax here in Illinois. And uh, Pritzker had marched up and down the state and during his campaign talking about how that was going to help solve the financial problems of the state. Well, uh, it got beaten because uh, of uh, Griffin's money, largely because of Griffin's money, and also because of the uh, ability of Republicans to tie the comment scandal to Mike Madigan, uh, the House Speaker at the time, who had been implicated in the bribes uh, for favors scandal. And what had happened was that uh, you throw a lot of money on it, you tie into the idea that uh, Mike Madigan was not a well-liked individual in many corners of the state, and then you end up with uh, uh, losing your your prime uh, prime push during the last election, and uh, it doesn't look like there's going to be a revival of that effort anytime soon. Heather, I've been following you on uh, Twitter and followed along with your tweets as Joseph uh, Ferguson uh, addressed the city council for what was the last time, right? I think next week is his last week. Uh, quickly, could you give us some of the highlights of uh, of what he said? You you followed it uh, pretty closely. 
I did. Um, it was a fascinating hearing. And um, uh, the news out of it for me was that he has completed his probe into the city's handling of the botched raid um, in on Anjanette Young's home. And she, of course, was the social worker who was left naked and handcuffed and pleading for help. And um, his, he said that basically on his way out, he's going to drop that report um, on the mayor's desk and it will be up to the mayor to take it from there, um, which is quite a way to leave office after 12 years. Uh, he was first appointed by Richard M. Daley, reappointed twice by Rahm Emanuel, and very pointedly said that he had not been asked by Mayor Lightfoot to serve a fourth term. So there's not there's no clarity on who will replace him on an interim basis after he leaves October 15th. And there is only just the beginnings of an effort to pick a permanent replacement. Uh, and uh, we will be I will be following that pretty closely because, of course, he has oversight authority over all of the city departments um, and has a crucial role to play in the efforts to reform the Chicago Police Department. This is a continuing uh, saga here with uh, inspector generals throughout Illinois. Uh, public officials, especially high-profile officials who, whose uh, uh, administrations will bear the brunt of a lot of the critical reports, end up trying to weaken the uh, IGs along the way. And, uh, you know, if, if you don't like the IG, uh, you know, you don't have to say I'm backing you for another term or anything like that. And, and it sounds like focus and get the message on this one. But um, if you're aggressive, you're not going to uh, uh, make a bunch of friends. It's not necessarily your job. And I, I think that there needs to be some mechanism in IGs and state and city government that keeps them in place um, longer uh, than uh, just at the whim of, of some official who appoints them. The, for example, the Auditor General in the state of Illinois gets chosen by the entire legislature, and uh, and that's an, another check and balance along the way. But I'm not saying that's a perfect system, but uh, there it should be a better way to secure uh, inspector generals. Joe Berrios, the assessor at Cook County, basically ran one of his uh, great uh, inspector generals out, uh, Deb Ellis, who, who tried uh, very hard to change the culture there at the assessor's office. But uh, uh, it was a very tough uh, uphill battle. Yeah, Ferguson is going to be. I'm going to echo both of the comments from both of my colleagues. Ferguson is going to be a loss. Uh, there are not very many real chucks and balances on, on government in Chicago. Uh, the city council really doesn't. Uh, uh, they tend to, uh, to varying degrees, get bought off by the mayor rather easily. Uh, the mayor uh, does what's in the mayor's best interest. Um, uh, Ferguson, although no no more perfect than any of us, uh, I thought has done a pretty good job of of, uh, of taking a good in-depth fact based look at how city government really works and coming up with uh, with uh, with some good solid stuff. I I, uh, I hate to see him leave, and uh, uh, Lori Lightfoot is going to have to convince me that uh, she's going to put the public's interest first when she appoints a replacement. Hmm. Uh, while we have you, Greg, you're going to get the last word. You guys over at Cranes did a Chicago Index poll and uh, asking about masks and vaccine. What did you all find out? 
Uh, we found out, uh, we did the poll with the Daily Line, our, our collaborator on this, uh, that uh, that uh, parents uh, overwhelmingly favor uh, masks and vaccinations uh, in public schools, both for the, both for the, the kids uh, and teachers for, for masks and the teachers for vaccinations. Um, uh, I, I'm kind of encouraged to hear that, to be honest, I think, because there's been a, lot of, been a lot about it. But uh, mm-hmm. I think the parents have figured out that uh, that uh, while they're inconvenient and bothersome, none of us like war and mass, that uh, if it keeps the kids safe, heck, do it. And we will leave it there. My thanks to Ray Long of the Chicago Tribune, Greg Hines of Crane Chicago Business, and Heather Sharon of WTTW Chicago Tonight. Up next, Kim Gordon. This is Connected to Chicago, a look at the top stories of the week with the people making, covering, and talking about the news of the day. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com. The Lions are returning to the Lincoln Park Zoo this month. Joining me today to tell us about the new state-of-the-art Pepper Family Wildlife Center is Maureen Leahy, Vice President of Animal Care and Horticulture. Maureen, welcome to Connected to Chicago. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So this new wildlife center has been a long time in the making. You broke ground on it in 2019, so it must be something really, really special. You know, it really is. Um, A pandemic certainly did not slow construction on our end. We followed all safety protocols, and uh, we have created an amazing place at the Pepper Family Wildlife Center with a state-of-the-art lion habitat and restoring the beautiful, historic, uh, iconic lion house that was built originally in 1912. And so this is a historic house, and you had to kind of keep that into consideration when you were, um, you know, making it state-of-the-art. So what are some of the things you had to do in order to keep the history intact but also, you know, move it to the 21st century? No, that's a great question. And certainly, by far, this was the largest and most challenging project we've had in a while at Lincoln Park Zoo. But we worked alongside with the um, Commission of Landmarks with the city to ensure that We uh, maintained landmark status for this historic building because it's such an iconic part of Chicago's history and the zoo's history as well. And so we had certain zones of design flexibility that we could work with, and we were able to marry the historic building with a state-of-the-art habitat that really used data and science and our understanding of lion preferences to create a habitat that's not just expansive, but very dynamic with a lot of vertical complexity, dynamic enrichment features, thermal comfort zones for the lions, depending on Chicago's seasons, and also a lot of uh, shade and shelter that we um, knew from the data we collected on our previous Pride of Lions and understanding what their preferences were. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And that'll do it for this week's Connected to Chicago. My thanks again to Pat Brady as well as our reporters, Ray Long of the Tribune, Greg Hines of Cranes, and Heather Sharon of WTTW. Also, thanks to Matt Mellon for his technical assistance. I'm Nick Gale, 890 WLS News. Connected to Chicago, a production of WLS News. Podcasts are available online at WLSAM.com.